you kind of have battling conditions that affect hurricane development and their potential to strengthen. Welcome back to Core Conversations, a CoreLogic podcast where we tour the property market to investigate how economics, climate change, governmental policy, and technology affect everyday life. I am your host, May Claire Bolton-Smith, and I'm just as curious as you are about everything that happens in our industry. Summer is here, and along with summer comes hurricane season. For the last two seasons, La Nina brought cooler temperatures to the eastern Pacific, which created ideal conditions for hurricane development in the North Atlantic Ocean. But now the pendulum has swung in the opposite direction. As of June 8th, El Nino conditions have arrived in the Pacific. Now there is an increased likelihood of an above-average hurricane season. In part, this is due to elevated sea surface temperatures. Sea surface temperature patterns could impact storm conditions, a change that typically might be good news for those living and insuring homes in hurricane-prone regions. However, the combination of El Nino conditions and hot ocean temperatures have primed the Atlantic for a stormy season. So to dive into this and talk about these two phenomena and how they interact and what it means for the 2023 hurricane season, we are once again welcoming back one of our favorite guests, CoreLogic's Director of Catastrophe Response, John Schneer. John, welcome back to Core Conversations. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be back. Okay, so this is very timely with where we are now. I did just say to someone the other day that I expect that within the next couple of weeks, we are going to have really severe hurricanes on our doorstep. So I want to dive into, is that actually going to happen and what things look like? Before we talk about the 2023 hurricane season, I wanted to remind our listeners that we want to help you keep pace with the property market. To make it easy, we curate the latest insight and analysis for you on our social media, where you can find us using the handle at CoreLogic on Facebook and LinkedIn at CoreLogic Inc. on Twitter and Instagram. But now, let's get back to May Claire and John. Okay, let's dive in. I want to talk about El Nino. I think this is something that it's in the news. I grew up in Canada. When I heard El Nino, I meant that meant warm winters. So I want to think about it specifically in terms of hurricane season. What is El Nino and what does it mean as we shift from La Nina to El Nino conditions? Yeah, it's it's a good question because it's super relevant to the hurricane season this year. I know it yeah. meant a lot when you were living in Canada, but it means a lot for us on the East Coast here in the States or in the Gulf. So El Nino is really just a phase of a larger cycle that's called the El Nino Southern Oscillation or ENSO. Okay. So ENSO isn't anything new. It's a naturally occurring coupled climate phenomenon. Uh, and you can kind of think of it as changes in the Pacific Ocean temperature. I oh, use the word okay. couple specifically because um, changes in ocean temperature have a big effect on changes in atmospheric circulations and vice versa. They both mm -hmm. you know, play with each other. So um, that's what ENSO is. It's really an oscillation between warmer temperatures in one part of the Pacific and okay. colder temperatures in that part of the Pacific um, a couple of years down the road. Okay. So with ENSO... There are three phases. That would be La Nina, El Nino, and neutral. Okay. And you can kind of think of La Nina as a stronger version of neutral, but neutral is sort of that in between. And that would be like just typical conditions that we're normally having on any given year. That's not abnormal. Exactly. Okay. Neutral is normal. Um, Enso is a natural phenomenon. This is nothing okay. new. It's been happening forever. Okay. Um, so during El Nino, 
ocean temperatures in the central and eastern tropical Pacific. So near the equator. Yeah. Uh, eastern Pacific being like right up against South America. Okay. Um, the ocean temperatures heat up and the easterly winds, winds that move from east to west, uh, will weaken and actually even sometimes change direction. Remember, I said it's a couple of phenomenon. So temperature, ocean temperatures, atmosphere, they play together. Ah. The opposite is true during La Nina. Uh, ocean temperatures are cooler in the eastern Pacific. Okay. They're warmer in the western Pacific when you get over towards like Southeast Asia. Okay. Um, and you'll have much stronger easterly winds. Uh, so we'd like to focus on La Nina and El Nino conditions because they can affect global atmospheric patterns. Okay. Okay. How, how often do they change? Like how often do we expect to see an El Nino season? Yeah. So the long-term average is three to seven years, right? Which is kind of a long okay. range, but it's, yeah. you know, something that happens, like I said, it's been naturally occurring for a long, long time. Um, you know, prior to the start of this year, we were in a La Nina phase for quite some time, uh, going back to June, 2020, which is a pretty long stretch to be in one phase. Yeah. Um, it is quite a feat. It's not unprecedented. There've been other examples, uh, you know, spring 1954 to the fall of 1956, same deal. Uh, we had it again in the early seventies, um, for an extended period of uh, okay. La Nina conditions. So it's nothing new. It has been quite a long time of La Nina, but it, there's precedent for it. So is it typical that it stays in a neutral pattern for kind of an extended period of time, goes to La Nina, goes to El Nino, and those are generally shorter, but in, in general, neutral would normally be those longer conditions? I like to think of it as kind of like a metronome. Ah. So it, it'll swing back and forth, maybe a weighted metronome. Maybe it hangs out a little bit with a little bit of momentum on one side and it'll kind of okay. swing back the other way. Okay. Um, but then again, there have been really short periods of El Nino and La Nina, yeah. as well as extended periods of neutral. So, yeah. you know, it can vary. Uh, and in the strength of which, right, it can be a really strong El Nino versus not a particularly strong El Nino. So right. there's a lot of variability in there. Right. So just a, a pendulum that goes yeah. back and forth. It's that time again. Grab a cup of coffee or your favorite beverage. We're going to do the numbers in the housing market. Here's what you need to know. In mid-August, the average 30-year fixed rate mortgage reached its highest levels in 21 years. This interest rate increase further erodes U.S. home affordability and discourages owners from tapping home loans against their accrued equity. Demand for HELOC loans, or home equity lines of credit, surged in 2022. This year, though, the count of HELOC loans decreased by 26%. Still, it's worth noting that the HELOC market is keeping pace with its pre-pandemic level. Now turning our attention to investors. U.S. home investors' share over the past two years has held steady. In March 2023, investors accounted for 27% of all single-family home purchases. In June, that number was almost unchanged at 26%. What is notable is that small investors with three to nine properties are growing their market share. Meanwhile, mega investors with over a thousand properties have seen their share drop from 17% of all investor purchases to 8%. U.S. investor share was concentrated in the following states, California, Washington, D.C., Georgia, New Mexico, Texas, Nevada, Utah, Arizona, and Kansas. Find out more about the property market on the CoreLogic Intelligence blog. The link is in the show notes. And that's the sip. See you next time. So a couple of things there. Let's dive in. I want to talk specifically about ocean patterns and how they affect hurricane activity. Um, 
I know, you know, there's been a number of times that I've been in the Gulf and I'm like, oh my goodness, like the water's so warm. We're going to get, I, I remember in 2017, in the middle of August, and my husband talks about this all the time, that we were at the Gulf and I'm like, these this is crazy. The water is so warm. We're going to get a major hurricane within the next two weeks. And within, I think, 12 days, Hurricane Harvey hit. So like everybody thinks I'm a predictor Psychic. of hurricanes. Yeah. yeah. You should be which, working in which, <laughs> which I'm not. I just, I know how these conditions can impact hurricane season. There's been a lot of news this year that the temperatures are so warm. I think one news report was the waters off Key West were over 100 degrees, like 101 degrees mm -hmm. water temperatures. Like, that's insane. So what does all of this mean for hurricane generation and hurricane season? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's one that forecasters had to deal with at the beginning of hurricane season. Um, and they've actually made updates to their forecast recently to reflect that. So you kind of have battling conditions that affect hurricane development and their potential to strengthen. So one of the things about El Nino is because you have, um, because of that, you know, where the warmer ocean temperatures are, that has an effect on the circulation of air in the atmosphere. Um, when we're in El Nino, it means you have stable sinking air in the Atlantic Ocean. Now, hurricanes don't like okay. that. Hurricanes ah, like instability. Okay. They want air to be rising, okay. right? Because they're okay. sort of their general motion. So El Nino is pushing on one side and it's impeding hurricane development. Okay. Um, like I said, more stable air, more um, vertical wind shear. Okay. Not good for hurricanes. Okay. Uh, on the other hand, like you mentioned, the Atlantic Ocean is really hot. Really, really, yeah. really hot, right? Way really hotter hot. than the long-term, way hotter yeah. than the long-term average. Even back right before hurricane season, like we were above the historical average, wow. notably in areas where hurricanes like to develop, whether that be right. you know, off the coast yeah. of Africa as waves cross that sort of region in the Atlantic where hurricanes kind of start to go from a wave to a storm to a hurricane yeah. and in the Caribbean and the Caribbean, it's blazing hot. Um, yeah. And hurricanes, while they don't like stable air, they love ocean temperature. Hurricanes okay. are heat engines and warm oceans yep. are the fuel, the gasoline that powers those engines. Right. So now prior to the season, we didn't exactly know when El Nino would show up, how strong it would be, but we knew it was coming and you know, what was the probability of it coming? That's what we were trying to figure okay. out. So okay. the battle was all right, what's gonna what's gonna be more impactful? El Nino or warm sea surface temperatures? Yeah. And at the beginning of the season it was, well, we really don't know. There's a lot of uncertainty. We're saying yeah. a near normal season, maybe below average, maybe above average, but we're not sure. Okay. Because of how hot it's been in the Atlantic Ocean, forecasters are starting to say the effects of warm sea surface temperatures are going to overpower the effects of El Nino when it comes to hurricanes. And okay. the most recent forecast from NOAA, released back on August 10th, is now increasing the likelihood of an above average hurricane season. Originally, NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, said that these El Nino conditions were expected to strengthen over the course of this year. This shift has the potential to prevent hurricane development. But on August 10th, NOAA revised its forecast. Now there is an increased likelihood of an above average hurricane season. In part, that is due to elevated sea surface temperatures. Okay. Have we seen any indication of that yet? So what I would say is 
it's a little on the early side to call. Obviously, you know, you're not gonna be able to call to the end of the season, whether it's actually above yeah. the average or not. Sure. So we had uh, hurricane name storms up through the letter D, up through Dawn, which was a hurricane okay. spinning out in the Northern Atlantic. Um, so we not, had, a, not a lot. Well, not a lot, but those first five, A, B, C, D, note four, were in the early part of the season, which is actually okay. pretty normal. That's actually yep. not unheard of to have a bunch of activity yeah. right at the beginning. We had this last year, actually, if you remember, we had a bunch of storms yeah. in the season and a really, really long lull. Yeah. Um, so Hurricane Don, that was, you know, July 20, 21st, that area, yeah. right? So it's actually been, you know, several weeks since we've had any hurricane activity. Okay. Um, so when we think about how active uh, a hurricane season is, we like to use a metric called ACE, okay. accumulated cyclone energy like a running total of the amount of energy from hurricanes or oh, tropical okay. storms. Okay. And if you look at sort of that ACE graph through time, we're pretty much at normal. You know, it's usually pretty flat through the first part of the season, but okay. it's right about this period of the hurricane season, mid-August is when it starts to spike. Right, yep. This is when we start seeing a lot of hurricane right. energy. Harvey, you know. Katrina, like all of the big ones are always in that kind of late August time period. Exactly, it's late August, it picks up until about mid-September, okay. and then it'll start to drop off. So we're really just about to hit the peak of, historically okay. speaking, of when we have a lot of hurricanes or okay. strong hurricanes. Shortly after this episode was recorded, May Claire and John's predictions about hurricane season revving up proved true. Hurricane activity was teeming in the last week of August. The Florida Gulf prepared for Hurricane Idalia, while Hurricane Franklin soaked Hispaniola and spun a little too close for comfort off the coast of Bermuda. Fun fact about eye names for you listeners. Hurricane names are retired after extremely deadly or costly storms for sensitivity, and the letter I claims 14 out of the 94 names that have been retired. Meanwhile, in the Pacific, Hurricane Hillary made landfall over the northern Baja California Peninsula, soaking the southwestern U.S. Tropical storms are rare in the western U.S. due to the typically dry air and very cold ocean temperatures that inhibit hurricane development. The last time a tropical storm made landfall in Southern California was 1939. Okay, a couple things. Like, this is really interesting and really important, but I think one thing that's really important to point out is... You know, Noah is saying it could be a active hurricane season. Active simply means there could be more events, not that those events will hit a big city. So I think that's a really important clarification that we need to make, that it's not necessarily saying that, you know, these events will hit, but the more events there are, the more likely possibility that it may hit a urban or, you know, populated center. So I think, I think that's an important, you know, thing to point out. May Claire and John spent this episode talking about how the shift into El Nino weather patterns and elevated sea surface temperatures has primed the U.S. for an above-average hurricane season. In the next episode, they'll dive into how insurers might fare if there is another major hurricane that results in major losses. As always, we'll pick back up next week. See you there. And thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode. Please remember to leave us a review and let us know your thoughts and subscribe wherever you get your podcast to be notified when new episodes are released. And thanks to the team for helping bring this podcast to life. Producer Jesse Devenins, editor and sound engineer Romeo Roman, our facts guru Erica Stanley, and social media duo Sarah Buck and Michaela Brooks. Tune in next time for another core conversation. You still there? Well, thanks for sticking around. 
Are you curious to know a little bit more about our guest today? Well, John Schneier is the Director of Catastrophe Response here at CoreLogic. John aims to keep CoreLogic clients informed of weather risks by monitoring potential events, determining the scope of the response, coordinating with internal stakeholders, and providing up-to-date content. You can read more of his event response coverage on hazardhq.com. The link is in the show notes.